Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Lord, we ask you to open your word. We open our hearts to your word. Lord, we don't want to just understand. We want to hear with a heart and be changed. We pray, Lord, that you will come now by the Holy Spirit's power, opening ears, opening eyes, softening hearts, gracing me, Lord, to speak in such a fashion that it is your voice we hear, not mine. We humble ourselves before your word, and we are grateful for it. Come, Lord, and feed your people in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'll start at verse 9, and as I go, I'm going to explain some of it. I'm going to read down to verse 20, and then we will, then we will take our theme. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker, and now he lists three things, in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus. Let me, let me stop there. John has, uh, tradition tells us, and we have no reason to doubt it, John went up and became the pastor of the church in Ephesus. You remember the founding pastor? That was Paul. Remember the next pastor? That would be Timothy. Now, have you ever been in these churches where they have pictures of their previous pastors in the hallway, you know? Can you imagine Paul, Timothy, St. John? Who was next is what I want to know. <laughs> Who had to follow that lineup? Uh, man. Uh, This church has had an incredible lineup of pastors. John has been preaching there at Ephesus and has gotten himself into trouble. His, His preaching has gotten him, well, tradition actually tells us, they tried to boil him in oil and he wouldn't boil. So they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos. Now, I'm going to tell you my theology. If I try to boil you and you don't boil, you go home free and I call you sir on the way out. I can't believe the chutzpah of somebody. You know, if if somebody can't boil, let them go, for heaven's sakes. Boy, this is a tough bunch. And so he says, I have shared with you, speaking to these churches, I've shared with you in the tribulation. They persecuted me. I know what it is to suffer for the sake of Christ. But he said, I've also shared with you in the kingdom. In other words, the blessings of the power of the Holy Spirit and all of the good things of God. And then he says, and I've shared with you in perseverance. I too have learned to walk out my faith over time. I know what it is to be disciplined by the Spirit, to be formed into the image of Christ. I'm going through the process just like you are. Suffer, blessed, grown. I'm doing it right along with you. And he said, I was on the island called Patmos. It's a little little island, uh, rocky island, right off the coast of Ephesus because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I preached myself into trouble. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. He's worshiping. The Lord's day will be Sunday. The church began worshiping on Sunday from the first resurrection. Uh, That became the the first day of a new era. The Christ has risen. Uh, the resurrection has begun. And so the church customarily worshiped on Sunday. On Sunday, he's worshiping, and he's worshiped himself into the presence of God. Now, one of the reasons we take the time we do in worship, uh, 
the primary reason we take time in worship and not just sing through a few songs is so you can and I can get in the spirit. We're not here to sing. This isn't like warm, it up, warm up the pipes, you know, and then we'll finally get to the sermon. We are, we are laying down our burdens. We are pressing into his presence. The music is incidental, as it were. The music is a vehicle. Music isn't the point. It's that you and I lift our hearts and really let the very real presence of God begin to transform us. I need that all the time, don't you? And it's so helpful to gather. That's what he's done. The man's, the man's worshiping uh, his heart out on a Sunday and a power comes on him. And here's what happens. He hears a voice behind him as loud as a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. If you start at Ephesus, which was his home, and you went 35 miles up the coast road, you come to Smyrna. You go up another 45 miles and you come to Pergamum. Now, Pergamum uh, is a place where there's a Y in the road and the, the road goes on north to Troas, but the, there's another road that has met it and that's an interior road through western, what's now western Turkey. And if you took a hard uh, right turn and went southeast, the next town that you come to is Thyatira. And then you go in about another 30 some miles and you come to Sardis and then to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. People make up all sorts of things about these churches and how their church history and all sorts of prophetic things. And they are loaded with illustrations. But if you simply started at Ephesus and walked the road as you normally would, this is the order you'd come to. Um, I think it's seven churches and John knows them well and has walked this road. All right, here we go. Verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool. They are, he's, he's literally radiating the glory of God. That's not, a, that's not old hair. That is hair that's just, his whole body, down to his very hair, is shining with a kind of glory of God. He sees the resurrected, glorified Christ. This is what Moses said. He, he was speaking at the time to the pre-incarnate Christ, but surely in this glory. And he said, show me your glory. Remember that? Show me your glory. I want to see your glory. And the Lord said to him, I can't. I'll, I'll fry you like a bug. Uh, if, if I show you my glory, you're a dead man. He says, what I can do is I can put you in the cleft of this rock, put my hand over you, and then as I pass by, as I'm going away at enough distance, I'll let you see the back of me passing away. And he did that, and remember it even then, Moses came away radiating light. He was, his skin was, was lit up. I mean, this is a very powerful thing. John is seeing the glorified Christ. And he describes him in the same terms that, that Daniel does. This is the heavenly son of man who appears before the ancient of days and to whom is given a dominion over all the peoples of the earth forever and forever. That's who we're seeing. All right. His, his feet were like burnished bronze when it's been made to glow in the furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. Have you been out to the beach and listened to the roar of the waves? That's what he's talking about. Or have you been by a, a water, uh, a river, which is rushing with rapids, been by a waterfall? 
They have such things in Israel. I mean, if you go up to, you go up to Caesarea Philippi, that area, there's a magnificent uh, waterfall, just roaring. You can hardly hear yourself. That's what he's talking about, that loud roar. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. Out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. There's, uh, the symbolism there is that the Lord is a powerful warrior. All he has to do is speak and he, ha- he destroys his enemies. He doesn't have to do anything. Just say the word, and it's like a sharp two-edged sword, and it deals its dealing. His face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He's, he swoons. He's slain in the spirit. I mean, the man's a Pentecostal. They all were. Huh? They all were Pentecostals. That's, he, he's, the power hits him. He's down. And he says, he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Now, earlier you heard the father say, I'm the alpha and the omega. First, last, alpha and omega. Same thing. Both of them, the father and son, are, are eternal. No beginning and no ending. Behold, I am alive, pardon me, I was dead, I'm the living one, I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. So there's no question who's speaking. We are speaking now of the Son of God who has, was crucified, he is resurrected and alive, and then he says, I have the keys of death and Hades, meaning not only have I escaped death and the corruption of the grave, but I have the keys to unlock the gates so that all my followers are also released from death, separation from God, and Hades, which speaks of the grave, the corruption of the grave on the body. I, I will save your spirit and I'll save your body. I have the keys to unlock that gate. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Therefore, he says, write the things which you have seen, this glorious vision of Christ, The things which are the condition that I am now going to prophesy over the seven churches and the things which will take place after these things, chapter 4 through 22, which describes the last seven years of earth's history, which the Lord shows us the final church becoming victorious over the Antichrist. Why does he give the seven churches and all of us that picture? Because of this verse, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. The book of Revelation tells you that when hell pulls out all stops, when the bottomless pit is emptied of every demon, when the Antichrist is now manifesting Satan in person, when the worst that hell has to give, the people of God will not be defeated by him, but they will overcome him by by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. So he says to every generation, are you being persecuted? Are you being tempted? Are you being harassed by the demonic forces? Listen to me. Look at the worst hell can have will not break the people of God. Gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Say that. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. No, sir. The Lord's church is victorious. So that's what this book is about. Here we go. Now Now the verse we're picking up. As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, seven, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. Now, we've already seen that John gets an angel 
to attend this revelation and to walk with him through it, to reveal to him, to guard the revelation. And he's simply saying that God is also sending an angel to each of these churches so that he guards the revelation and to see that those churches are enabled to understand as well. People do all sorts of things with that. They say, that's the pastor, that's, you know, we get bizarre, don't go there. There's, a, there's simply an angel sent with the prophecy. Don't you hope we have one? I hope, I believe and, and trust that there's an angel who's guarding us right now to receive the revelation. Hallelujah. He is most welcome. Now, and he says, and the seven, uh, the, the seven stars are the, are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are what? Why don't you read that phrase with me? The seven lampstands are the seven churches. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. That's what we're going to pick up. In verse 4, the Holy Spirit is introduced as God's menorah. That's what we talked about, you recall, the seven spirits. Or seven branch lampstand, meaning he is the one who brings God's light to God's people. Today, as we read John's vision of the glorious Son of God, we are presented with a picture of the menorah once again. Only this time, it's churches who are compared to lampstands. First, John is told to write in a book what he sees and send it to seven churches. Then, as he turns around, he's confronted with a breathtaking vision of the resurrected Jesus, standing in the middle of seven lampstands. Later, when Jesus speaks to John, he explains the mystery. He says, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So if we remember what the lampstand and the tabernacle represented, we are confronted with a profound truth. We, the church are placed by God in a city to bring his light to that city. Let me stop one second. Jesus is speaking to seven churches in Western Asia Minor, and he's saying to them, you are the menorah of God to Western Asia Minor. Do you see that? You are the, point, you are the light sources. I've placed you in Western Asia Minor, and through you I shine my light to that community, to those regions. The Lord is telling us we play a profound role in his plan to win the world. Through us as individuals and through us as a community of believers, the light of God illumines the darkness in which we live. And I think most of us knew that before we read this passage. But I also think there's a lot of confusion about how this takes place. And a lot of doubt that imperfect people like us can really make a difference in someone else's life. Anybody ever feel that? You've thought the thought, if I just were really mature, if I, when I really get the Bible down, when I get my act together, when I get all these problems out of my life, then I'll shine like a light. Then I'm going to be really effective for God. But between now and then, I am simply uh, spare parts. Right? Come on. Anybody? You know what this feels like? I, I, I think that thought is a is something that damages the work of the church. I think we all, what is it with Christians? We all look at, our, at what's not right with our lives. I mean, there's a humility in that and there's an honesty in that. You know, we, do any of us pray enough? No matter how much you pray, you always feel like you still don't pray enough. Uh, do we read our Bible enough? Do we, do we share our faith enough? Do we, after... No matter how far you grow, there's something about the Christian mindset, and I don't even know if it's wrong, but looks at what's not finished. 
I, I do think it's wrong to, to, we look at the glass half empty always and not the glass half full. We don't see all that God has done in us. We are often least aware of it because we're so focused on what hasn't finished yet and so unsatisfied with where we aren't yet that we miss all of this and we don't realize that the light of God indeed is shining through our lives. And I want to show, I want to convince you of that today. I, I want you to see, and I'm not just being positive, I want you to see how God uses broken people, people in process of healing, and shines his light most brightly through them. I think most of us knew that before we read this passage, but I also think there's a lot of confusion about how this takes place and a lot of doubt that imperfect people like us can really make a difference in someone else's life. Sure, we think to ourselves, if we live perfect lives, God's light would shine. But since we still have flaws and weaknesses, we're not much used to him. But the truth is, imperfect but changing people shine the brightest Matthew 5, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Turns and speaks to us and he says, you are the light of the world. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Jesus has said in one place, I'm the light of the world. But he turns to us and he says, you are the light of the world. That's what this image is saying. Through us, both as individuals and as a spiritual family, church, God's light shines into our dark communities. It is the world, pardon, pardon me, in us, the world is given an opportunity to see God and hear him speak. What's the light? Well, the light is the truth about who God is. Why we exist, what happens after death, and how God wants to save us. You know that. You know the truth. You know who God is. You know why you exist. You know how he has come to save us. The darkness is human speculation about all those things. It's the religions and the philosophies of the world. What humans have said, now let's see, who must God be and what is this all about? They've worked hard at it. There's some wisdom in some of the things they've come up with. But it's still darkness. It's speculation. Because the only way you'll know God is by revelation. He is so big, he simply has to show himself. And you have that light. You know the light. How do we shine? There are actually, actually I'm going to show you a passage, uh, Ephesians 4, go back to that. Verse 17, I just made that statement about the darkness, uh, human speculation, actually I say here combined with demonic lies which have been successfully inserted into human thinking, Leads people away from the true God. Listen to how Paul describes it. Ephesians 4, 17. So this I say, affirming together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you, you didn't learn Christ in this way. You've learned Christ through the truth. 
God has shown you who he is. Thank you, Jesus. How do we shine? There are actually a number of ways churches shine and God's, God's light into their communities. But today we'll focus on just one. I'm going to just give you a little bird's eye view for a minute. The way we love one another is, is an important way we shine, isn't it? The gathered church should provide people a foretaste of heaven. You ought to be able to say, you want to see what heaven's going to be like? Come with me to church. You can feel the presence of God. You can see how people love each other. You see how people of every walk of life embrace one another and belong together and those social distinctions pass away. Come and see heaven. Come with me. You can taste a bit of it. Jesus says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. What is the this? That you love one another. Not that he doesn't at that point, he certainly were to love the world, but it, not that he says, not how you treat the world, how you treat other Christians. How believers treat each other is the foundation which the world will see you're different and you belong to me. The second one I have here is speaking and teaching God's truth. We provide an opportunity for our community to hear spiritual truth as opposed to human wisdom or demonic lies. I mean, do we realize what a gift it is when we, we celebrated the opening of the Bible? That you and I have the written word of God and the Holy Spirit to help explain it to us. This is, this is just huge. We, and we can speak the, the word of God and people can hear the truth. Paul calls the church of the living God, he says, the pillar and support of truth. It's, there's, there's that foundation he, God places in communities where the word of God is spoken. Another, another way is simply the practical evidence of God's favor on people in their families, in their lives. There's a blessing that rests on people that God makes you a trophy. Yeah, you still have problems. Yes, there's still issues, but there's something about people who walk in obedience that a covering comes over them and a peace comes in their home. Can't you see it? Don't you have it in yours? I do. And I, I just, there's times, you know, you don't have, realize how I grew up and the chaos. And, and I walk through my home and I, and just the peacefulness and the covering over, and it goes year after year after year. It's not a, not a, not a, not a just, a, yes, we have issues. And yes, there's worries. And you bet we, 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 but there's an overall tenor to life of care and provision and comfort that the Lord's there. People see that. People see that. The Lord uses us to, to show the world, this is how I treat my people. But here's the point I want to take today. And this is what we're going to develop. The personal transformation of individual believers. Through us, people are given a glimpse of Jesus. Through us, they encounter him, if imperfectly. Where do we shine? Individual believers carry God's light to their schools and workplaces, but especially, listen, to their families. Those who know us best cannot deny the real changes God works in us. When they become desperate for their own change, many will come to us because they know that we what we have is real. Some take decades, some a lifetime before coming. Our best advertisement for Jesus has changed people. Yes, of course, unbelievers will question and test that change. Some desperately hoping it's not real because if it is, it forces them to admit God exists. 
Have some of you prayed for a family for a long time? I'm going to be some, as discreet as I can with this, but I've just had a remarkable uh, experience with the Lord, and I'm going to try to tell you what I can of it. I have prayed for a particular family member of mine since I was 12. So what's that, 30 years ago? <laughs> and I have prayed virtually daily. I pray for all of my family, and, and, and this one is right there. And, the, and I have prayed, and I have, over the years, I have, I have uh, witnessed uh, on occasion. It, it, and it was never met with just open anything, but it was, you know, you try to drop these hints, or we're praying for you, and uh, there's somehow just a diversion when you try to approach some subject of religion. Have you experienced this? You bring it up and all of a sudden, how about them mariners? Or, you know, uh, like, uh, do you think it'll rain? Uh, it's it just like, wait a minute, where'd you go? And uh, I've had that. And it was not two weeks ago that I, that this particular relation to me, uh, it was, has been very ill and has been, has come to, you know, toward the end here. And, and I was saying, Lord, I've prayed for decades. Are you not seeing this? I mean, where are you? I mean, there was some of this going on. Lord, are we going to lose this? Are you going to do something? Two weekends ago, I think it was, I was leading worship, and there was prophetic word in each of the services and I had, I had led the song, uh, Healer. I remember that? I believe that you're my healer and all. And I am, and, and, and we were, there was a lot of sort of free worship going on. And I'm praying for this, this, this family member. And in my mind's eye, I'm literally laying hands on him. And I'm just, you know, oh, Lord, God be with him. Just come, Holy Spirit. And I'm, I'm going for it. And one of the services, I think it was the 1130, there was a prophetic word that said, you think it's too late. It's not too late. And I'm going, oh, Jesus, I believe that. And I'm just, I am just joining my heart, trusting God that it's somehow not too late. Monday morning, 9 o'clock, I'm on a conference call. My, my other phone rings. I recognized the area code, but didn't know who picked it up. It's, 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 a, it's a family member. Hi, Steve. Um, you know, I said, well, how is he? And, and, uh, can I ask a question? What, what is his spiritual condition? She says to me, well, that's why we called. Uh, we're not sure. And uh, I didn't know it mattered. I mean, this is my family. Well, we're not sure. When are you coming down here? Anytime in the near future? I said, well, I'm not planning to. Uh, but the conversation went on, but I, but I can be there. I, she was, I was being called in, to invite, would I please come down and share Christ with this person that I've prayed for, all joking aside, for probably 49 years. I got on a plane Tuesday of that week. It was two Tuesdays ago. I got on a plane, one miracle after another, and just 
everything, getting, getting a flight, getting down there, getting a parking place at this huge hospital. Uh, I won't go through the story, but that I got one was amazing. And I prayed for one. I said, I got to have a parking place. I can't mess around, you know. And, 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 and I'm, I'm in one of these where we're driving all the way to the top of the parking ramp. Everyone's turning around giving, and, and driving back down. That kind of situation. I get a place. And so, and so then I go in and I think, now, I'm not going to eat. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast, but I'm, I'm going to just take this. I had a protein bar. And I thought, I'll just eat this bar and drink this water. And, um, uh, and just, uh, I won't, I'm not going to eat now. And as uh, soon as I do, I step over to the elevator and punch the button, and I'm standing and waiting, and there's this woman right here. And I turn around, it's my family member, one of them. And she takes me with her, up we go. And, every, and then I get there, and I have a chance to begin to talk. The family wants to talk. And I begin to share Christ. And instead of any sort of resistance... One of my family is, is just teary and just soft eyes. The whole family is just listening to me. I'm thinking, is this my family? Because, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't have any reason. I mean, these are some of the nicest people in the world. They are. But I didn't, ha- I, I didn't know where we were on some of this, and I've tried. But they're listening and taking this in. I then have, I have with another one, I end up having an hour to sit, and I've got Isaiah 53 out. I've got Philippians 3. I'm completely sharing Christ, and she confesses Christ, and we have a fabulous time together and tells me about what God's been doing in her life. And then I have this time with this family member. They not only get him ready, get him awake, get him all set, and then they all, everybody leaves so that Steve <laughs> can share Christ. I'm thinking. And then I, and, and I have been invited by this person who knows I'm there and knows why I'm there. I've been invited to come and tell him. And I do. And he closes his eyes as I talk to him. And I begin to share Christ and the righteousness of Christ. This is a wonderful man. This is a man who's led one of the finest lives I've ever seen. But I, and so I told him, I said, you know, I know another man who led a very, very fine life. St. Paul said that I, he was a, a Hebrew of Hebrews, that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, that according to the law, he was blameless. And yet he says, I count all that to be rubbish, that I might possess not my own righteousness, but the righteousness which is given to me as a gift by faith in Christ. I said, do you want that righteousness? Would you receive that righteousness? I do. Tears starts running down. His lips are trembling. Jesus Christ has died on the cross for you. He died for you. He's paid your price. He, God wants to put his goodness over your life. To cover you with the purity and the holiness of his beloved son. Do you trust him? Will you receive him? I do. Then I say, now, there's eternal life. I'm sure of it. And he said, I hope so. And I said, no, sir, there is. And then I realized, ah, we need the assurance. You see, the Holy Spirit's who bears witness inside of people. You're saying, okay? So I lay my hand on his chest. Oh, Holy Spirit, come in power. 
just come in power. And the Lord's there. And then he peacefully falls into sleep because he's been awake and thrashing and worried and anxious for days. Now the peace of God comes over him. I stood there and I could look out one window and see the very mountain I grew up at the base of. And I can see another where this place here where he's lived. And I just looked out these windows and I felt like, how in the world did this happen? And I said, I was frustrated with you about two weeks ago. <laughs> and I am so sorry. <laughs> when you move, you are simply awesome. I can't believe what you have done. The, ho uh, the whole family heard and was receptive. Now I've been called. Will I come down? He's just passed away. And will I do the service? I'd be happy to do the service. People, have you got people you've been praying for for decades? And you thought God didn't hear. Let me tell you what I've learned. He heard every word of your prayer. What he's waiting for is the right time in that person's life. Now, we're impatient and frightened. But he knows when people are ready. He knows when the doors finally open, when the heart's ready, and he strikes like lightning when that door is ready. You're not waiting for God. You're waiting for your beloved. And God knows how to ripen the harvest. He knows how to prepare the heart. And he's at work doing it. What has to change? The change that changes people is not becoming self-righteous, politically conservative, predicting the date of Jesus' return, going to church or stocking the basement with guns and dried food. That is not the Christianity that lights up the world. It's becoming kind. Look at, look at how simple it is. I want you to get a hold of this. It's becoming kind, apologizing sincerely. Boy, I tell you, when, 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 there's people you may probably know, but the first sincere apology you ever hear out of their mouth, you'll fall on the floor, right? Boy, it doesn't take massive change. You just see suddenly a t a, an integrity come into their heart, and, and everybody in the family is going, what happened to him? Who is this man? And where did you put my father? You know, kind of thing. Being honest. Submitting to authority. Repenting quickly. Changed vocabulary. Showing the love of God. Getting free from deep addictions. Returning to work on, to, pardon me, to returning to work on a wounded marriage. Bringing peace to a troubled family. But even as we say these things, it's important to remember that we don't have to be sinless people or emotionless people, or ever-smiling robots. People have this picture of what I ought to be if I was a good Christian, and it's something like an ever-smiling robot. Praise the Lord. <laughs> it's just inane. Just what he needs is just honest people sincerely trying to do the right thing and humbly admitting when they're wrong. People see integrity. They see your heart. They see your humanity. They see the weaknesses. They see the goofs and the mistakes. But they look right through that when they see integrity in us. Everybody notices when sad people become happy. Lonely people gain friends. Addicted people become free. Greedy people become generous. Habitual liars tell the truth and admit when they're wrong. 
Sick people get healed. Sick people, listen, don't get healed, but suffer bravely without anger. Angry people become patient with others. Proud people quit comparing and competing. Ambitious people spend more and more time doing missions and service to others or just staying home with their family for a change. You can, you'll light it up with just these kinds of changes. Everybody in the world sees, oh, wow, what happened to him? What happened to her? Hard, inexpressive people weep when they worship and tell you they love you. You know, a lot of, you watch people who've been very, very stiff and very, very emotionless. And as they get walking in the spirit, they get tender and they weep. Now, there's a difference between crying and weeping. But you'll have big, tough John Wayne types. And they get in the presence of the Lord and they start weeping. They think, what is, what's the matter with me? I'm a, I'm, I'm a sissy, you know. No, you finally have a heart. It's like the tin woodsman. God's finally put a tender, soft heart in you. That's, that's not, this is not weakness. This is tenderness to God that's going on inside of you. John 3, 8, Jesus says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone. Say everyone. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. In other words, you, can see, you can't see wind itself, but you can see the effect of wind. You see the trees move. You see the waves move over the water. You can feel wind. It can be very, very strong, but you don't see it. Jesus says every born-again man or woman is under the influence of an unseen power. They are being moved and changed and affected by a power outside themselves or inside themselves, however you want to look at it. But they're being moved by something you can't see, but it's no longer just them. Something new has entered their life. Notice we didn't list yet talking about our faith. This is because people aren't interested in hearing what we believe about God until they see real change in us. I mean, when you, you know, you come home and you get saved and your family goes, right, you're into a cult. Uh, like, uh, so this is the next thing, huh? A religious kick, huh? And all sorts of dismissal and cynicism. But I'm going to tell you the passing of years and the passing of decades, not your perfection, but your, the genuine change which is taking place in you is undeniable by the family. It is undeniable. And over the years, you will find, in some cases, begrudging acknowledgement of what you have, that it's real and it's wonderful. And sometime, when the, when the moments get hard, and when, the, when, the, when people are desperate, when their systems aren't working anymore, and God sees to it that they won't, they know you'll be the one who gets the phone call. Out of the blue, here comes the phone call. Can we talk? Because they've seen the light in you. They've seen the light in you all along. They know you better than anybody. They know your weaknesses, but they see something real. There's a wind at work in you and they know it. Some want it right away. Some don't, some don't want it now, but will in the future. Some may stay in denial until the last months or days of their lives. Don't ever count someone out. Some refuse to the end and step into eternity alienated from God. I acknowledge that. But there are few. When do we shine? 
Please listen carefully. The answer is not what you might expect. It is not when we totally get our act together. In fact, people who apparently have no more problems are hard for most of us to relate to. We tend to put them on pedestals and admire them, but we don't look to them for role models. They're so different from us, their example can be discouraging rather than inspiring. Do you know people that seem to have no problems? They're no help to you. It's like, I don't know how you did that, but <laughs> you're so far away from me. I, you're no help to me. Right? You're not light when you finally get everything together. You're actually so far out in front of us, you're not much help. It's the wounded warriors. It's the wounded healers. It's the people in the middle of the mess. And yet God's change has begun. They're the brightest. It's those who are still working through their problems, yet give evidence of real change in their heart, who shine the brightest. We see their humanity, but we also see something new at work in them. And that awakens hope in us that maybe their God will help us too. But God can take it even farther than this. Stay with me now. This is important. When he brings healing to our scarred lives, those scars become beautiful testimonies to his power. God uses our sufferings, our failures, to equip us to minister to others who are still trapped in bondage. The, the tragedies you've gone through, the, the, the addictions you've gone through, the mess you've gone through is not wasted. It actually becomes the foundation of the most effective areas of your ministry. You've been in alcohol. You've been trapped in that. God has set you free. When people are dealing with alcohol addiction talk to you, they recognize instantly. You get it. You know when you talk, you use the right language. You understand. You can spot it a mile away. When I, I've, never, I've never drunk, but boy, do I know depression. You can't fool me. I see you come in the door. And you look just like I did. I can see it a mile away. You got it, don't you? I know what it feels like. I, don't, I talk right. I don't make stupid statements. Just be happy. I don't. I get it. Because I've been there. When, I, when, when, the, when we, we run this tape series on, on, uh, on the radio, on depression, we get just inundated with letters when we talk about that. Why? I know what I'm talking about. I have been set free and found freedom. I still wrestle with it. I still know the flavor of it. But man, I found freedom. And people can tell. I think he's got it. And they want to know. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. In fact, read it with me. You've got it right there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, it's a long sentence, but what he just told you is, God has come to you in the middle of your affliction, and you have found faith, and you have found strength, and you found his power, and you learned to lay hold of him, and he's comforted you in this and given you victory. Now, you turn around, 
And there's those who follow in behind you who are still in that affliction, still in that addiction, still dealing with anger, still dealing with fear, still dealing with depression. They're still in the middle of it. But you've learned something. You turn around and you take the comfort you've been given you tell, and you comfort them. You follow? He literally transforms. This sounds just like Robert Schuller, but forgive me. He, in fact, this is his phrase. He takes our scars and turns them to stars. Oh, He takes the, but it's true. Forgive me for making that illusion. He he takes that which is broken. Now listen. When Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared in the upper rooms to his disciples. You remember, I I give you the references. You can look them up later. In, In one, the door is locked. The disciples are gathered. And a man named Thomas is there. One of the disciples. And Jesus appears, and Thomas has made the statement that says, I'll not believe in him till I'm able to put my hands in the, in the holes in his, in his wrists and, and touch the scar in his side. Now, that's a coarse, cynical, ugly statement to have made. It's shameful. But Jesus appears, and you notice what he does? He, his resurrected body, listen, is still scarred. Isn't that interesting? You would think, in a sense, that the resurrected body would be flawless. But his is not. The scars are still there and are there now. You will meet a scarred Savior. You, too, will see the scars. God has not removed them. Why? Because they're glorious. They speak of God's power. They're testimonies to what he has done. Jesus holds out his hands to Thomas. He says, Thomas, come ahead and touch me. And then he lifts that portion of his robe and he says, stick your hand in the, in the scar. Now that, that right in here, the, the Roman uh, spear, the, the blade of it is as wide as a man's hand. And it, it would have taken under the rib cage from down and it just slit up in through his heart. So there's this massive scar here. And he holds that and he says, go ahead, Thomas. Thomas is my Lord, my God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Thomas. You know, I mean, you, 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 you see and you believe. But blessed are those who don't see. You have me here, but generations following will not be able to stick their hands in my scars. But they will believe too. Thomas, by the way, became a fine, a fine apostle. Went all the way to India. And, and the church, there's a church still to this day that was founded clear back by him. Jesus' scars, listen to me now. Jesus' scars are glorious, aren't they? So are yours. So are yours. So are yours. And when you're able to hold out the scars and say, look what, look what he healed. Look what he's done. Look where I've been and look what he's changed. It's life-giving to people. It's hope-giving to people. We don't need unscarred people. The light shines through you with your scars. 
you bring hope and inspiration. You, bring, you become genuine models as not perfect people, still dealing with issues, but you have found victory. And when there's a measure of victory, people know it. They smell it. You can spot it. That's the light. That's the light that the Lord puts into these cities, into our families, into our schools, into our neighborhood. You. You don't need to wear, I'm not against these things, these t-shirts. You don't need to be real. In fact, I think a lot of verbalization can be real negative until people are ready to hear. You win a hearing generally. There's not a lot of people who just haven't a clue what it is. They, but when you talk to the average American, they've been hurt in another church. Uh, they've, they've, been, they've got a family member who's a roaring hypocrite. They've got all kinds of excuses as to why they don't want the gospel. It isn't that they don't have a clue what it is. But what stops them short is when they meet a real follower of Jesus. Not a perfect one, but an integrous, loving one. Where, the, where these changes are taking place, those things begin to shake them. I saw, uh, I was over with my mom's and they had on her TV a, a, a classic Billy Graham convention and it was 1969 Anaheim and the place had I think they had 64,000 people in the Anaheim Stadium there and Billy Graham was young and boy was he good I forgot I mean I grew up with him but I forgot how good he is that guy he was preaching on the blood of Christ and it was magnificent you know it's, you know as he's as he's preaching away and just Thousands poured forward to receive Christ. But I want to tell you something. Out of that 64,000, I'll bet you 63,950 of them were there because they had seen the real life of Christ in somebody. You see these events and even church like now. People come not they aren't, they aren't drawn by the event. They're drawn by people they've met. How many of you? It was someone. I mean, you may have met a million phonies, but you met a real one somewhere along the line, and they shone with a light you cannot ignore. You know they knew God. You saw him in their lives, and you cannot discount it. It was simply too real. Come on, raise your hand. And that's why you were open to Christ. That's why when the gospel came, so people bring those people into that stadium, say, here, listen to the gospel, and they're there because you're sitting next to them. Or they watched you. And they know whatever this is is real, so now, like, tell me, what is this? And they receive Christ because of the light they've seen through God's people. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.